when Amy and I were on this trip to Israel that we uh, took, um, we spent a good amount of time on the bus with other uh, pastors and wives, and I was in discussion with one of the pastors, and uh, we were just talking a little bit of shop, and uh, when pastors talk shop, usually uh, we talk about things like, uh, what are you uh, preaching on at your church? And uh, so we talked about that, and he told me what he was preaching on, and, and he asked me what I was preaching on. I said, well, I've just begun a series called Answers for Today. And we're looking at about seven different uh, questions that I've heard people ask, both people inside the church and people in the, uh, in the world at large, uh, questions that they have about spiritual things. And, um, and he said, well, like what? And I said, well, um, so each, each of the uh, sermons will address a particular question. So every one of the sermons is, is titled a question. And so, like the first sermon is, um, how do I know, uh, or excuse me, does God exist? And when I said the question, does God exist, he said, yes. And I said the next sermon uh, is going to be brought by someone else, and, and it is titled, uh, is the Bible true? And he said, yes. And I said, well, after that, you know, I said there's a sermon is there such a thing as right and wrong? And he said, yes. <laughs> I said, well, the sermon after that is, uh, is there a hell? He said, yes. And he said, your people at your church must love you. I said, why? And he said, these are the shortest sermons I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't let them get away that easily. You know, we, we, I'm sure they would like it, you know. So the, the sermon for today is... Is there a hell? And I was very tempted to just say yes and walk off, you know. Um, and that'd be that. Uh, but I thought, no, I need to, I need to do the, the whole sermon thing, you know, the preaching thing. And so I thought I'd start off probably with a little, uh, little bit of humor that uh, I know that when you're thinking about is there a hell, you're thinking about, oh, let's tell a joke. Um, but uh, there, I remember the story about a a guy who uh, owned a business, and he was uh, relocating his business to the other side of town. And so a friend of the owner, you know, for this great celebration, you know, he's going to expand his business, move it to the other side of town. A friend sent flowers. And so when the owner of the business opened up his shop, there were the flowers that were delivered, and, and he opened up the card, and the, the card with the flowers read, Rest in Peace. Well, and he realized what happened. They sent him the wrong card, and, but it sort of put a downer on, you know, his his uh, reopening of his store on the other side of town. And so he called the florist to complain, He's, and he got a little bit angry with the florist. And the florist said, well, if it makes you feel any better, there's a funeral taking place today, and they have flowers with a note that reads, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> well, it does raise the, that, old, that, that age-old question, uh, what happens to us when we die? I mean, where do we go when we die? I mean, do we just go in the ground? Is that it? As some people believe, some uh, other people believe in reincarnation. Uh, they believe that, you know, once you die, your spirit comes back as something else or someone else, you know. And, and as Christians, of course, we certainly don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, I've always wondered about people that truly and honestly believe in reincarnation. They always believe that they themselves were somebody very important in the past. You know, I was Queen Victoria in my previous life, 
And, and I, it just makes me want to think, what in the world did poor Queen Victoria do to end up like you? <laughs> but you can't say that to someone who actually believes in reincarnation, but now you know what I'm thinking when I hear things like that. You know, I'm thinking you're on, you're on the decline, you're going the wrong way, you know. Uh, you're going to be a frog soon or something, I don't know. But, uh, but we don't believe in reincarnation. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible talks about heaven. The Bible talks about hell. And uh, is that where we go when we die? One of these two places, heaven or hell. And so I want to sort of explore this idea and, and look, at the, look at the part that we don't like to talk about. It's always interesting when polls are done of Americans. How many people believe in heaven and how many people believe in hell? And there's always about 15 to 20% more people that believe in heaven than do hell. And, uh, and so I've always found that to be interesting, I guess 15 to 20 percent of people are universalists. They believe everyone goes to heaven, and then there's no such thing as hell. And I began to think about who is really qualified to answer the question, is there a hell? Because we know by experience, if we are to experience hell, and I hope nobody here does, but if we experience hell, it means something has happened to us. It means we're dead. And uh, dead people have a hard time communicating with the rest of us, don't they? Uh, you just don't see a lot of dead people at the funeral home and, uh, and telling you about their day. And so uh, that, that raises a very difficult uh, situation for us because who's really qualified to answer whether hell truly exists or not? And if, if it's somebody that is uh, already died and, and gone there, well, they're not going to be talking much. But there is one person that is um, much more qualified than we are to answer whether hell exists. And he's much more qualified because he is quantitatively different than you and me. You see, you and me, our existence began here in this world, here in this realm, it began with our conception. That's when we began. But there's somebody who existed prior to his ever being on the earth, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is pre-existent. He has always existed. And he knows what happens in the spiritual realm. He knows all about the spiritual realm. And I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 31 and 32, and we're going to be in a number of different passages of Scripture, and you can uh, follow along the best you can. But in John chapter 3, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said these words, The one who comes from above, he's talking about himself, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. And so there is one person who is qualified to tell us whether there is such a thing as hell. And I would have you know that of all of the people that are ever mentioned in the Bible, all of the great teachers and theologians and the heroes of Scripture, nobody talked more about hell 
than Jesus. And that should tell us something. If he knows something, we don't. And he tells us more about this terrible place that we do not want to go, then maybe we ought to take it seriously. He knows what he's talking about. He's qualified to speak on the subject. And so the next question, did Jesus say hell exists? Did he say that hell exists? Well, let's look at the evidence. In Matthew chapter 10, in this passage in Matthew 10, now just to give you a brief summary, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he's about to send his disciples out into the Jewish villages and towns all over the place. He's sending them to these Jewish villages and towns to do this, to tell them that the kingdom of God is near and to minister in Jesus' name, to do signs and miracles and other things that would authenticate the message that the kingdom of God is near. It is coming. It is with Jesus. It is in Jesus. And so that was what they were to do. But here's the problem. Jesus tells them from the very outset that they will be resisted. They will be mistreated because people will not want to accept that message that the kingdom of God is here in Jesus. And so they're going to mistreat the messenger. They're going to beat the messenger. They're going to run the messenger out of town. They're going to do all kinds of things to the people that are proclaiming the message. And then Jesus makes this statement. Pay very close attention to it. He says to them in Matthew 10, verse 28, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Did Jesus tell us that hell exists? Apparently so. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story. Some people think it's a parable. Other people think that it's a real story that happened. Uh, I think that it's a real story that happened because in none of Jesus' parables... Did he ever name a person's name? But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus names this guy. His name is Lazarus. And um, this Lazarus fellow is a, is a poor man, and there's also a rich man in the story. And this is what Jesus said. He said in verses 22 and 23, One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Is Jesus indicating that there is such a thing as hell? It, it seems that way to me. A few verses later, Jesus said this in verse 26 of Luke 16. And this is a response that the rich man is receiving from heaven because he's crying out. In his torture, he's crying out for someone to put a little bit of water, a few drops of water on his tongue. And the response he gets back from heaven is this. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you. So that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Jesus seems to be indicating that hell exists. In fact, I want you to listen to the words that Jesus used to describe hell. A fiery furnace in Matthew 13, 42. 
weeping and gnashing of teeth in Luke 13, 28. Outer darkness in Matthew 25, 30. Their worm does not die in Mark chapter 9, verse 48. Eternal punishment in Matthew 25, 46. Unquenchable fire in Mark 9, 43. Being cut in pieces in Matthew 24, verse 51. Jesus used some terrible, terrible terms to describe what hell is like. And it brings up this question. Okay, if hell exists, why? Why does hell exist? I want to show you why. In Matthew chapter 25, there are three separate things that happen. The first two are parables. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 about a wedding. And at this wedding, some of the bridal party were prepared for the wedding. And the unprepared bridesmaids, the unprepared bridal party, they were caught off guard when the wedding began. And so it took them a while to get everything ready. And and when they were finally ready, they arrived late to the wedding banquet. And they knocked on the door and they said, Master, Master, open up for us. And the master replied from the inside, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And then Jesus tells another parable. This parable is about investments. And it's about a man who had a, a, quite a good sum of money. And he gave three different servants three different amounts of money to invest. And the first two servants were wise servants. And they made wise investments and, and brought the master return on his money. And the third servant was unwise. And he did not invest the, the investments at all. And the master responded to uh, about, he responded about the third servant, the unwise servant, with these words. Throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And after those two parables, Jesus has a teaching. This is not a parable, however. The first two were parables. Because in the first two, Jesus used the word like. He said the kingdom of God is like a bridal party. The kingdom of God is like someone who has an investment. But the third one, he doesn't use the word like. He has a teaching for us in this third episode. And this teaching is about the judgment. And he says about this judgment that in the end, on judgment day, people will be separated into two groups. And the ones who care and minister to Jesus' brothers and sisters will receive eternal life. Listen to what Jesus said, because it gets to the question as to why hell exists. But then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you catch that? Hell is for the devil and his angels. Hell was created not for humans. Hell was created for the devil and his false angels. 
And you might wonder, but according to these other sayings of Jesus, it sounds like people end up in hell too. I mean, if, if hell wasn't created for humans, then why do humans end up there? Here's the reason. If you're not following Christ to heaven, who do you think you're following? And where do you think he'll lead you? And you might say, well, hey, look, I'm not following the devil. I'm just sort of doing my own thing. Are you sure about that? Maybe doing your own thing is following the devil. See, most people that follow the devil don't know it. And that's the devil's greatest trick. That you don't know that you're following the devil. You're just doing your own thing. Living your own life. Accept Christ, follow after him, bow my knee to him, die to self and live for him. Eh, maybe that's not for me, people say. I'm just going to do my own thing. And they end up doing exactly what the devil wants them to do. Where do you think you'll end up? You'll end up in a hell that was never created for you. How does the Bible picture hell? The Bible pictures hell, I think, in three big terms or three big themes. The first picture of hell that we have in the Bible is punishment. And again, Jesus said to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God has prepared an eternal fire as punishment for the devil and his angels. Hell is punishment. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the Bible says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I would remind you that the beast, the false, excuse me, the Antichrist and the false prophet, these are humans who along with the devil will be tormented in the lake of fire and sulfur day and night, forever and ever. A few verses later in verse 15, we read this. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible pictures hell as punishment. The Bible pictures hell as destruction. Destruction. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church. He's writing to Christians. And he says to these Christians at Thessalonica, he says, It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place 
at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be, and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Hell is destruction. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 echoes this idea. It says, But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some theologians recently have wondered about this idea of hell being destruction, and they've come up with an, uh, sort of a, a, a thought about hell, and, and it's this, that if hell means destruction, is it possible that in hell, people, when they're thrown into the lake of fire, they will simply be burnt up? They'll simply be annihilated instead of suffering endlessly. Could that be possible? And I have to tell you that this, to me, is a very attractive idea in my mind. I do not like the idea of anyone suffering for all eternity. I don't like that idea. But reality is not based on whether I think it's attractive or not. We have to understand the Scriptures. And Scripture seems to indicate continuous suffering in hell. In Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48, Jesus said, If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It seems to be in this passage and others an indication that hell includes unending torment. You see, when we talk about hell being destruction, what do we mean by that? It means this. It means that hell is a final state of loss. It's a final state of ruin, of waste. The people that are in hell have failed to embrace the true meaning of life. And they've wasted their life in pursuit of worthless things instead of pursuing Christ. That's what we mean by destruction. They look back upon their lives and they say, Why did I ever follow this path in life? Why did I go down the wide path that leads to destruction, as Jesus said, instead of the narrow path? That leads to life. And that narrow path is very narrow. Because that narrow path is the path of Jesus. You either follow him. Or you do whatever you want. But these are two different paths. That end up in two very different places. 
The people in hell, have, they, they tried to find life in themselves. Or they tried to find life and meaning in their sin. And in doing so, they forfeited true life. Jesus talked about the one who wishes to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for the sake of following Christ, he will find it. He will save it. And so in hell, only ruin remains. The third picture of hell in the Bible is not just punishment and destruction, but it's banishment. Banishment as well. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What is the law of God that he wants us to keep? It's very simple. One thing. It is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by believing in him, we love God and we will love others. This is the law. This is the way of God. And not everyone who claims to follow Jesus actually does so. I want to bring up another question. Does God want anyone to go to hell? The answer is no. He does not. In second, excuse me, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing at the beginning of this chapter about praying for people. Praying for, praying for all people. And he says, praying for other people is good. And it pleases God our Savior. Listen. Who wants everyone to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen to me. If you believe in any type of theological system. That has God desiring the destruction. The eternal destruction. Of people. I'd try to ask you to square that with this verse. God wants everyone to be saved. Well, why does God send people to hell, you might ask? Well, because of the reasons that we've read about in these passages already. People reject His way. And by doing so, they unwittingly Choose the path to hell. Brings up the final and most important question. How do I avoid hell? Listen to me. You need to understand to avoid hell, you need to understand this. You need to understand that you have sinned against God. And because you've sinned against God, you are not good enough. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for heaven. In fact, the Bible says only God is good. One of the most dangerous things in the world are people 
who are really, really moral. People that are really, really, when they look at other people, they say, I'm a good person. Why is that so dangerous? Because as long as you believe, I'm a good person, you're telling yourself, I don't need a Savior. Only bad people need a Savior. Only those hell's angels types need a Savior. Only those people in prison need a Savior. Only those prostitutes and murderers and the bad people, they need a Savior. I'm a good person. I haven't done any of those things. And in your self-righteousness, you lose the understanding that you need a Savior. That you are not good. Not on God's standards. You might be good if you look at the person next to you. I'm better than you. But that's not the standard. The standard is God. Are you up to that standard? Only God is good. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. There is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you might think, oh, what's the big deal? You know, it's like stealing a cookie. Who's going to really get mad about stealing a cookie? Listen, your sin has serious consequences. Your sin has serious consequences. You might think, oh, what's the big deal? You know, stealing a cookie, a child stealing a cookie, that's not serious consequence. Here's the problem. When a child does not obey his parents, it is serious. Why? Because someday the parents will tell that child to obey in a way that has eternal consequences. Don't run out in the street. That has serious consequences. Don't steal a cookie? Maybe not. But what's it have in common? Obedience to the Father. Obedience to the parent. And when we disobey God, it has serious consequences. Why? Because the cookie's so valuable? No, because the person who told us to obey him is so valuable. Sin has eternal consequences. The consequences of sin is death. And in the Bible, please understand this. Many people don't understand this. Many people fail to understand this, and it's so important. In the Bible, death is not extinction. We think of death being extinction. It's not. Death is separation. And so when we die physically, what happens? Our physical body is separated from that within us which is spiritual. And we experience physical death. The Bible has another kind of death that it talks about, spiritual death. Spiritual death is the separation of you spiritually from God. In fact, the Bible says that each one of us, unless we are quickened and made alive by the Holy Spirit... We are spiritually dead. We're separated from God. And so that spiritual separation, that is spiritual death. And the Bible talks about eternal death. Eternal death is spiritual death without any chance for it to be made right again. Eternal death happens on that day 
when God casts all of those that will go into the lake of fire into their final place. That is eternal death, and there's no coming back. There's no coming back from that. Death is separation, and death is the consequence of your sin against God. But God provided for us a remedy. God sent His Son. He sent His Son. And listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, He, that's God, the Father, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, the Father made Jesus, He sent the He. Excuse me, he made the one who did not know sin to become sin for us. The Father made Jesus become your sin and my sin. Jesus completely obeyed the Father's plan. And that verse continues. It says, so in him, in Christ, Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus become our sin so that we would become Jesus' righteousness. That's what God did for us to keep us from this terrible, horrible place called hell. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for you and I to be saved, God has made it very simple. We must have faith in Jesus. We must believe in him. In Romans chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, the Bible describes what happens when you and I have faith in Jesus. It says that the righteousness of Jesus will be credited to us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. In other words, God takes our faith in Jesus and He gives us credit for it. And the credit comes in the righteousness of God. In other words, when God looks at us, He no longer sees all of our terrible sins He only sees the righteousness of Jesus in us. And then that verse says, He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses. That means He died on the cross for our trespasses, for our failures, for our sins. And He was raised for our justification. When we get the righteousness of God, we are justified in God's eyes. What's that mean, justified in God's eyes? It's a legal term. It means that God is the judge And he pronounces you and me not guilty. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. That's what happens when you have faith in Jesus. If hell truly exists, as Jesus says it does, and if hell is like the description that Jesus said it was like. There are two obvious implications for this. Number one, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. 
I'm very sure of it. And secondly, if you are a Christian, you've already had your sins forgiven, you don't want your loved ones to go there. You don't. Years ago, pastoring a church in Cincinnati and a wonderful, wonderful lady named Betty, older lady, came to visit me on Monday. Now, when pastors get a visit on Monday, something went wrong the day before, right? Usually. But she came to me and she said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. So what's going on? She said, last week, We buried a relative of our families. And for decades, I knew that he needed Jesus. We'd see him at Christmas, we'd see him at Thanksgiving, we'd see him at these other events. And I never got up the courage to tell him about Jesus. And now it's too late. And I don't know what to do. All I could muster with whatever wisdom God gave me to tell her was maybe somebody else told him about Jesus. And maybe he actually had faith in Jesus that you just didn't know about. That's all I could give her to hang on, hang on to. Listen to me. If there's somebody that you love, Tell them about Jesus. Give them the opportunity. Just do do it like this. Just say, hey, my friend, we've known each other a long time. And sometimes I don't know really what to say about my faith. And it's sort of, I know it's a personal thing. But I want you to know that I believe in Jesus. And I think I'm going to heaven and I want to see you there. And I'd like for you to believe in Jesus, too. I don't think your friend, your family member will get mad at you because you're coming from a heart of caring for them. I don't think they will. They might, but that's okay if they do. They might even say, I've been wanting to tell you for the longest time, and I didn't know how, but I'm a Christian, too. (laughs) You might find you have something in common that you're both a little bit scared with your faith. Break the ice. Because you don't want that time to pass and them not ever have heard from you how they can stay out of hell. I don't like this topic. And I bring this topic to you, I hope you see with humility and seriousness. I didn't want to walk all over over the stage and scream and yell and try to scare you into heaven or anything like that. I want you to believe it in your heart that hell's real. According to Jesus, hell is real. And according to Jesus, it's terrible. Let's let that sink in. Let's let the implications of that 
have its intended effect.